Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. On today's episode, Richard Hibbert, a principal consultant at Clarisus, will be discussing with Shazad Salim, the CEO at Cost Transformation Consultancy, the challenge of cost transformation with customer experience. Enjoy the episode. Just to kind of kick us off a little bit, obviously I, I worked for yourself for uh, best part of half a decade I at know. BT. Yeah. Um, I remember when you came in. Do you remember? Fresh-faced, Fresh eager, yeah, yeah, from <laughs> naive. <laughs> um, so just for, for our listeners, can you give us a bit of a two, three-minute potted history yeah. of, your, uh, of your work up to now? Yeah, no, sure. So, um, I mean, currently I'm a, a CEO of my own consultancy firm, which I set up a couple of years ago, which was really building on the work that I'd done um, as the MD of cost transformation at BT. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd effectively set up an in-house consultancy from scratch, originally back in retail much earlier in 2004. That was kind of the, the original team. Uh, and then I was asked to come do something similar around 2010-11. Uh, and uh, instead of looking at line of business by business, it was now what can we do across the organization? And how can we do this on a, on, you know, on a real scale? Mm-hmm. Business was uh, in a really dire situation at the time. BT's share price um, was, a, was an all-time low, it was 69 pence. Um, and uh, you know, we just, a uh, new CFO come in, new CEO come in, huge write-offs, uh, and the big play was cost transformation. Um, so the in-house consultancy just grew and grew really, and it grew because it was successful. Uh, we took other teams in from around the business, uh, and uh, we just started to take on generally more complex projects uh, and more end-to-end programs across the organization. Uh, and I led a program that effectively took nearly £6 billion pounds of costs, net costs uh, out of the organization, which is one of the biggest cost transformation plays anywhere mm-hmm. uh, globally, um, which really was the catalyst then for me to set up my own, my own business. And Prior to that, I'd uh, done a big CFO role within wholesale markets where I was uh, leading a four billion turnover uh, business, and that's really my background. So finance, uh, then moved into transformation, and now latterly going into other organizations and doing something similar. And, and, and it really is using the same tools and techniques, but in just in different environments. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the, the theme of today's podcast is about cost transformation and its relation to customer experience. Yeah. Um, and I guess in my view, organizations have always had to improve their product and service quality to main compet- maintain competitiveness. And they've also always had to look at, um, look at their cost base to make sure that they're, not, that, you know, that they're not leaking cost and they're not bloated. But it feels like there has been um, a mindset shift in recent years around how companies approach their customer experience. Is that, is that something that you recognize? I'd say yes and no. It's interesting when, uh, you know, I was thinking about this uh, prior to coming in today. Uh, what I noticed when I was uh, uh, the large FTSE previously, uh, there was definitely more of a shift um, as the company got more mature from cost transformation solely to much more focus on customer experience. I remember the mantra when I first started, it was almost take the cost out of the organisation without damaging uh, customer experience. And even even maybe at the very beginning, it was take costs out of the organization. There may even be a little hit on customer experience. 
uh, because the, co- the, the company was, unsu- it was in such dire straits. Uh, and then it became take cost out of the organization and keep customer experience pretty much flat, you know, keep it the same. Uh, and then it became take cost out of the organization and also improve customer experience. And then it finally morphed into starting with the customer experience and as a byproduct, take cost out. And that's largely kind of where I see more and more organizations moving to now. What I do still see, though, is cost, companies struggle. They struggle to kind of sep- they almost separate the two. They're trying to segment the two. So what you'll find is they're very they're much more comfortable when they're talking about cost transformation in the support functions, in back office, in non-customer facing roles. What they they tend to get very nervous about, and understand understandably, is when it's cost transformation in a customer experience face, you know, in a, in a customer facing world, and that's where you need much more, you know, the, more of the customer experience transformation. Uh, and what what I I think companies then need a lot more reassurance, need more examples of where you've done this before, uh, and that's what I've tended to see. Um, and, and it always tends to start back office first, prove yourself, and then let's do a bit of let's then go into customer experience. So I don't think it, I don't think it's fully matured yet, and I think there's still a bit of nervousness around it as well. What was it that caused that evolution? You were talking about even in the the, the time that you've been doing it, it started off with try not to damage it too much. To well, you know, maybe we can make an incremental improvement to, you know, actually let's start with the CX and work from there. What, what do you think drove yeah, that? I think cost transformation on its own has a, has a it has a, uh, as a shelf life. You can only take it so far. Uh, you can take cost out and you'll, and you'll see the impact on the bottom line. I remember when we were doing this at BT, the first few years were actually, in terms of net savings, were the biggest years. Mm-hmm. So in the first three years, it took nearly four billion of cost out of the organization. But that can only take you so far as, a, as an organization. You need to start growing the business, particularly the top line. Uh, and to do that, you need to, make, you, need to be, you need to have a good customer experience for your customers. Your customers need to be feeling that they're being treated well, that when they're dealing with the organization, that they're being treated fairly, uh, that their calls are getting answered on time. Because those are the sorts of things that almost kind of get left behind a little. We'll let the call abandonment rates, for instance, we'll let them push up a little bit. Uh, but customers won't ring back, you know. So there's, you, 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 you tend to have higher churn as a result of that. So what I found as the organisation matured, the customer experience became a much, much more important play because they knew if they wanted to grow the top line, they needed to have a much more enhanced customer experience. I see. So do you so you think it was a consequence of the fact that the low hanging fruit for the for the cost transformation came out? So it was. It was just a necessary shift at that point in time, you think? Yeah, I think it's part of the life cycle. So at the beginning, the, the business was in such dire straits that you know private equity firms were hovering around it. Uh, other organisations were looking to potentially acquire it. Um, so they and and the, the share price was you know is, is abysmal. Uh, eventually, you know, on the back of the cost transformation, got to five pound. That gave them the headroom then to start really investing back in the organization. That happened after about two and a half, three years. Then you had the big play where there's a lot of investment in, in fiber. And then oh, then obviously uh, they went into sport in a big way. And that was on the back of the fact that they'd, uh, you know, they then had the cash um, to do that. And they'd hit their numbers consistently because they'd been making this big cost transformation play. So I think it was where they were in their life cycle. Did you see anything internally? So when, when there was that 
maybe not it wasn't a, a complete shift but when there was a pivot more towards kind of CX kind of kind of play was there a shift in mindsets do you think or a shift in approach towards kind of customer centric activities or was it more BAU um, it was in the beginning it was it was quite difficult yeah. for people to change their mindsets even within my own team because you you know for years and years and years you you made this organization successful on the back of doing, you know, taking billions of pounds out of an organization. And then all of a sudden you're saying, look, actually, if we're really going to grow this organization and take it to where it needs to get to, you're going to have to focus much more on the customer experience. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you completely, completely forget about cost transformation. People struggle with doing both. Mm-hmm. It always felt like it was either or. And I think the culture of the organization to some extent didn't help that because they had the team separated you had a customer experience team and you had a cost transformation team. So the, the way that we started to get around this really was to, you know, you just, you just had to keep banging the drum uh, and, and try and turn the language around. So, look, we, we, te- we need to improve the customer experience. As a, as a consequence of doing that, you need to be taking cost out. You're going to be measured on in how you enhance the customer experience, on the operational dashboards, as well as on cost transformation. So you needed to make it... It's more, much more holistic approach, and that wasn't going to happen overnight, because I had to change my approach. My directors had to change their approach. The consultants had to change theirs. The business had to change their approach. So it wasn't it wasn't an overnight, you know, sensation. It's something that's taken a, a number of years to really work through. And I and I remember the pivot. I remember the um, I, I remember the slight change. And I think it was the nature of the projects that we were doing as well um, seemed to shift that. It wasn't 100% focused on cost. Some projects were looking purely at the revenue side, for example, which, yeah. was, which was quite different. Mm. So, and you mentioned the metrics. Um, clearly, cost is, is, I guess, an easier number to visualize, as in you're looking at a pound sign taken out of the business. Was there, um, h- how do you find that in terms of like measuring customer benefit is clearly harder? Was, that, was, was there anything specific you had to do to address that? Yeah, I, think, I mean, it is harder because there's so many... Uh, investment cases that used to go up to the board and they'd you know they had big revenue numbers and if all those revenue numbers had added up and been delivered the business would have been twice the size that it was Mm -hmm. so the difference i think is with cost you can see it you can touch it you can feel it so if you're taking cost out you you know it's if it's uh you know saving on a procurement contract you can physically see that you know the cost is coming in to be cheaper from that supplier than it was before with customer experience it's not always as straightforward um, so the way that initially, at least, because you needed to get traction on this, uh, I always felt you, you're going to have to try and do both, right? So you need to take cost out. Um, because, and if you can build your customer experience case on taking cost out, then almost the revenue side is upside. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it was it was difficult to get that the kind of that mindset shift within the organization because they were so hooked on this drug of taking costs out and being successful on the back of that then for them to suddenly start turning that mindset around. And also they've had many revenue cases that hadn't, you know, hit, come anywhere close to hitting their numbers. There was a bit, there was a nervousness around customer experience transformation projects that needed investment. So my, you know, the focus for me was let's, let's try and make that at the very least, let's try and make it pay back on, on a cost side. Uh, and then the revenue, you know, whatever we can do in revenue is, is, is great. That's an interesting strategy, actually. So trying to avoid exclusively kind of revenue or CX projects. On initially. The initially. Because you, you needed to get people to buy into it and you needed credibility. And if you're trying to do that from the very beginning, from, from, a lack of, from nowhere, mm-hmm. 
it's going to be a difficult sell. Did you start to see a difference once you started delivering some of those projects and saying, well, actually, no, we can get a real CX improvement or a real revenue improvement? Did you see a, a shift in attitude at all, or was it always like, you know, pushing? Yeah, I think it was always it, it, it was a more of a shift. There was more of a, a, you know a believability that you know you're gonna you're gonna start seeing the benefit, and it was it was gonna manifest itself not necessarily just in cost savings, but in other ways like you can you know potentially lower churn. Even though there was many with the variables in the markets, it wasn't always as straightforward uh, to measure. But it was I think where we started to get a bit cute it was looking at not just uh, cost savings, but the wider. Uh, a wider set of measures. So let's look at you know a wider suite of KPIs, which relate to the customer, uh, which should then manifest themselves either in cost savings or they should manifest themselves ideally in top line benefits. Mm-hmm. Then the difficulty you have in a turbulent market, such a competitive market, there's so many of the variables on the mm-hmm. top line. You're not just, you can't just isolate the you know the impact that you're having on customer experience and see in a straight line. Oh, I'm getting this great reward from doing you know from improving the customer experience because you know your other competitors might be doing a deal at the same time um so there's lots of other macro things going on as well so that was it is definitely more difficult to measure uh but the credibility grows if you're getting that traction at the beginning by delivering some cost transformation uh, you know benefits as well that's what i found in my experience anyway and I was going to ask about that that broader perspective. So clearly, BT is a, a particular company at a particular point in time. Clearly, it was um, it's had its um, it's had its ups and downs over the years. Um, looking broadly beyond just BT, or perhaps even beyond just telecoms and, and utilities firms, do you think that there's been um, a shift in approach to either CT or CX? I think it really depends on. Uh uh, where that company is in its, uh, you know, the particular situation it's in, I think more and more companies uh, are certainly going in the way of, you know, uh, customer experience transformation. Um, but it always depends how desperate a business is, uh, and the CFO will revert to ultimately cost transformation when things are tough and numbers need to be hit. The thing I worry about um, is sometimes it's too blunt an instrument. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things that happens with cost transformation is you can do all the analytics in the world, you can bring people along with you on the journey, you can do all the process improvements, but ultimately if someone's you know, really up against it, mm-hmm. um, they'll find a way to hit those numbers regardless. So you know, if they've got to take you know, the headcount down from 100 to 80, they'll just take 20 heads out without thinking where or why or what's going to happen to the organisation, to the business. I'm going to be able to deliver from the customers. No, we'll just sweat it. Mm-hmm. We'll sweat those assets even harder and just do it with even fewer people. So I think it's not necessarily, you know, part of the, it, there's definitely a shift just generally, uh, you know, towards customer experience transformation, but it still gets influenced largely by where a company is and how successful a company is. Generally, what I find is with growth companies, those that are doing really well, much, much more focused on customer experience transformation, almost. Uh, cost transformation becomes, you know, something that's just kind of housekeeping. But with those companies that are in a more of a distressed phase, then the customer experience almost goes throughout through the window, mm-hmm. and it's almost exclusively then on cost transformation. So, and that's probably, you know, you're going to find that, you know, th- pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there that you know, CT can be quite a blunt instrument. You know, if someone needs to take out twenty percent; they'll take it by hook or by crook. 
what would your advice be or what would your approach be to do it slightly more forensically so to take out the cost without yeah. destroying the customer experience what i found that particularly when i first started uh, back in 2004 uh, and i did my mba thesis around all of this as well when i was looking at this the organizations that took uh, that were that were very kind of you know took costs out were very blunt about the way that they do it they then had to almost spend they generally had to spend even more money uh, to kind of recover the situations within the organization. So great examples were marketing budgets. Mm -hmm. The easiest thing in the world is to slash your marketing budget. Like you, you've got a 300 million marketing budget, I'm gonna slash it by 50 million, because it's really hard to you know, to, to see what the return on marketing investment is. Um, but So we're gonna go after that one. What they then find is, oh, my revenue numbers are starting to drop, my customers are really starting to fall away. Uh, and then I've got to spend even more money to acquire those new customers, which is always more expensive than retaining customers. Uh, and they've got to spend 75 million, maybe in a couple of years, just to get back up and recurring, you know, that sort of amount recurring thereafter. And it was the same on research and product and development, uh, where you think, oh, we could maybe just cut back a little bit. But then you've got, you know, those mature products coming to the end of their life, life cycles, and you've got new products coming through. Your competitors are getting ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you've got to spend even more money to try and get back into the market. Um, so, what, what I found is where cost transformation is done without really, th without thinking about it, where it's done bluntly, it, it's not sustainable, and you're not going to get recurring benefits from it. You'll get some one-off benefits in that year, maybe for two years, but it's not, it's not, it's not sustainable. What we, what I've always focused on, is making sure that it's analytically focused, it's evidence-based. And I think when you do that, so you can prove if if I take if I do the analysis, if I look at a number of different data points, those different data points are saying to me if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to be able to take 20% out, but I'm going to be still able to improve. And that's the mantra: if you can improve what you've left behind, what you started with, and what you leave behind, uh, then you're in a much much better place. You know, you've taken 20% out and you've improved the, you know, the situation for the customer, either the internal stakeholder or the external customers. Yeah, it's an interesting model, that, and I never really, I never really thought about it that way. And I, I have kind of making sure that CT and CX are always done together, as in if you isolate them, it's always going to be, you're going to end up with that vicious cycle or they're going to be working yeah. against each other. Um, but when you're doing that modeling, so one, I guess it comes back to the point we were talking about earlier, cost is, it's tangible, it's real, you can put a number on it. And I understand what you're saying about, you know, you have to understand and model the impact on the customer as well. H how do you do that? What kind of things are you looking for? Is it just is it just judgment about the customer wouldn't accept this or they would accept this? No, but I think what you have to do is you have to try and make it as tangible as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you d I mean, there are loads of different measures, now, like the net promoter score and everything else, which is great. Mm -hmm. But I think as long as you can try and find uh, as many real instances of how it's Im improving things for the customer and, and how do you measure that internally. So it might be that I'm going to look at customer churn for that particular product. Um, that, you know, it's, it's instances like that. Uh, I might look at, you know, the, my, uh, you know, the, the first call resolutions, those sorts of things. Within this. Look for different measures that you know are going to give you a proxy for, for, for the improvement in customer experience. And I think it's trying to do it. So you just need to much more fuller, much more holistic operational dashboard. It can't just be, let's focus on the costs only. Let's look at some other measures, which are going to give us a clue, which are going to give us a very good indicator of what's happening with the customer. Mm -hmm. And at BT, in your view, was it a case of these metrics had always existed, but they were just handled by a different set of people? Or was there 
more focus on, on, on looking for those proxy measures? I think that came later, to be honest, uh, trying to almost sync the two up together. So what started to happen is, uh, particularly in the last few years, you'd be starting to look at, well, what's happening for the employee engagement? What's happening for the people who are being affected by the change? What's happening from a customer experience point of view? What's happening from a cost point of view? So that's when it started to become a lot more rounded. Uh, prior to that, it was very much, you know, focused on the cost side. You know, literally when you reported it, is a program on, on, on schedule? Are the milestones being hit? Are the costs being taken out? Are the pound notes hitting the bottom line? That was pretty much it. As the programs matured, then you started to see a lot more focus on 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 the on the customer side. What's happening to the net promoter score? What's happening, you know, uh, to churn? Uh, what's happening to the people who are on on the front line who are dealing with the customers? Do they feel like they're getting the right sort of tools? Do they feel like they're getting the right sort of empowerment, the right sort of support? So is their employee engagement going on? Which and is and people, you know, you generally see. Uh, a link between a happy employee who's working on the front line and the customer experience that customer receives. Yeah, I think there's lots of evidence that yeah. shows that, isn't there? One's like a lead indicator of the other. Um, and g can you give us some examples of, uh, and, and I, I guess every firm's going to be different here, but the kinds of changes that you can progress that would genuinely deliver, or typically rather deliver, both cost transformation and, and customer experience improvement? Yeah, I mean, generally, I think most programs and projects should. Mm -hmm. um, th there's going to be very few. Maybe some of the back office functions, uh, and even then they've got internal stakeholders, but maybe some of the back office functions, the, sh the shared service type areas, where they're, where they're not dealing with customers, that's going to be much more of a cost transformation play. Mm -hmm. You might not, you know, you're going to do some internal measuring. There's going to be ultimately some, you know, line to the to the external customer, but generally it's more removed. Mm -hmm. So I think in those situations, that's more of a cost transformation play. But anything that's customer facing, mm -hmm. anywhere where even where they're one removed, you know, in those instances, it has to be a, co a customer experience and cost transformation play, or or even just customer experience transformation. You know, it could just be that the, you know those three words because it should almost be just one thing. Because more and more as, as, as we were rolling uh, cost transformation out and then, then ultimately continuous improvement, uh, which I think was actually the mo most rounded of, of the three because in that you had equal emphasis on employee engagement, customer experience and cost transformation, um, and it was, which was different for most organizations because when continuous improvement was rolled out, where it's been rolled out generally it's always been a customer experience play only and I think that's almost why it's floundered and not been as successful mm -hmm. uh, and I think the companies who've done it really well they've, they've had an equal emphasis on all three heads and I think by doing that you, you satisfy the finance people you satisfy um, ultimately the board but then you've also got you know the play that the organization the people are feeling empowered and they're trying to do the right things they're trying to fix their own problems and then ultimately the customers are benefiting from it as well, which then ultimately will manifest itself somehow back into the organization, hopefully as top-level growth. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about continuous improvement? Clearly it was, um, it was a, a large program of work across BT that you led, and, and, and I know it got real visibility and, and led some real changes. Can you talk a little bit about that for the, for the benefit of the listeners? Yeah, I mean, ultimately it, was, uh, it wasn't uh, an, a straightforward play. It was, this was an interesting one because... With cost transformation, when I needed more consultants, it was generally quite easy to get those consultants because the fact that we, we you know, we ultimately ended up taking six billion of costs mm -hmm. 
you know out of the organization um so you could see that you know you could physically see the cost base shifting downwards uh, by six billion so that was generally quite an easy play <coughs> now with continuous improvement at the beginning it, it kind of harks back to something i said earlier i had to have even more an emphasis on it's got three you know three uh, components it, which traditionally continuous improvement didn't have. Continuous improvement traditionally was employee engagement, customer experience. Mm -hmm. But I knew with inside an organization like the one I worked at previously, BT, that that wasn't going to wash. You know, I had to convince the board, I had to convince the, the CFO. And the way to do that was I had to make sure that there was an emphasis on the cost transformation side as well, which was difficult, which was difficult for the organization because you, you're, you're asking people within the business um, to be more empowered, to, to learn about all of these tools, but ultimately it has to lead to a cost saving. And, and you know, people realize what that means. That could mean that within their team that one or two people might leave from a relatively small team. Um, so that's not, you know, that's not going to be a, a straightforward play. Uh, but ultimately for that program to deliver, you know, it had to have that, you know, third head of cost transformation on it. And I think the reason it worked was because the employees from day one were engaged and knew what was, you know, knew ultimately there was three there's three parts to this that they had to deliver on three, all three aspects. I think that's why it was so successful. And because for the first time, they had more of a decision in where those savings came from and how that was going to work through. There just seemed to be a lot more buy-in because they knew ultimately the, the organization cost transformation was a major strategy for the business but actually let's have more of a you know direction of how that happens for us and we're going to be much more involved in that um and and that was uh, you know that was really refreshing i think that's why it took off to the extent that it did um and in the end we rolled it out to nearly fifty thousand people so it's one of the largest continuous improvement rollouts of its kind anywhere you know globally and I, I got the sense that that engagement, as you, were, as you were outlining, came from empowerment, came from trusting people, came from treating people as owners of the business. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, they, they felt buy-in for their decisions. Yeah. Um, I just think, just on that point, Richard, I think there's one thing, looking back, that potentially, you know, I would have pushed back harder on um, and changed, I think, would have been more of the, the communication side of things. Not so much in continuous improvement, because continuous improvement was all about engagement all about communication you had them right at the onset you had a massive you know heart and minds uh, in bringing people with you throughout the journey so right at the beginning people were clear about what was going on they you know they were starting to learn some of the tools um, and that was very different it felt sometimes about the big cost transformation programs it wasn't a always a consistent way of how we're going to deliver this message with inside of the organization and and in hindsight, I think for me, personally, I think the way to do this is you have to communicate very clearly with inside of the business what's going on. Mm -hmm. And everyone who's being affected by that change needs to know that there is change happening. Um, and I think often it was done very last minute. Um, and, and you can understand some of that. There was nervousness because there was such, you know, what does that mean for individuals? And does that mean that they're not going to operate quite at the level that they're operating at before? But I think if you do it right at the very beginning and you're really honest with people and you tell them what's going on and the things that you're looking at, um, I think you'll actually get much greater buy-in. And people understand, people know what, what situation the business was in and what needed to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I think by not being clear about that, not 
uh, being really uh, you know open and as you should as as you could have been. I think people then start to think about, you know, and they start to make things up and they start to get really near. So actually you, you have a detrimental impact anyway. Whereas if you're up front with people and really honest with people, people are much more appreciative of that, even if they know ultimately that might lead to something that they're not going to, you know, you know, like. And what, what was the impact of that then? Um, so you said that you'd rather have communicated earlier, more upfront, more transparently. What would, um, how, did, how did you end up feeling the pain of that? Well, I think that, that I think w- Generally, you'd have you know you'd find situations where people inside the organisation didn't understand why that change had happened, mm-hmm. um, and then that became through indiscriminate voices. Uh, you know, people you know either manifest themselves in, in in it would come sometimes manifest itself in lower engagement scores, uh, feedback. Mm-hmm. So often, one of the interesting things was we had an intranet. Uh, and if there was any mention of a particular project, or pro- that was a way for them to vent because they didn't have an opportunity to vent about you know what was going on within their within their space. So I just think if you, if you have the right forums and you have the right engagement and you cascade it throughout the organisation mm-hmm. uh, and you do it at a frequent enough uh, frequent enough intervals, uh, people are going to be much more bought in, even if they don't necessarily like the you know the outcome. So, so you're more likely to deliver the business case. I think more likely to give the business case is one thing, but I think ultimately it's fairer to the people who have been impacted by the change, and ultimately that's, I think, as, as, as important as anything else. Mm-hmm. And one of my last questions is around, I guess, the approach for uh, a CT and CX project. So we've spoken about how it makes sense to do the two together, and, and doing too much of one or the other in isolation is probably going to be self-defeating. So are there any particular tools or techniques, be it Lean, Six Sigma, that you found particularly helpful or conversely you think don't necessarily always deliver what they say they're going to? No, I think the approach generally can almost is almost the same now. So you, you almost don't try and have two different projects or programs running. You, you don't have this face of we're going to do cost transformation, we're going to do customer. You just say, look, we're going to do you know a transformation program, whether you call it a customer experience transformation program, which is more and more the, kind of the, the fashion now. But ultimately, you say, we're going to work on a transformation program. And as part of that transformation program, we're going to have customer experience benefits. We're going to have cost transformation benefits, uh, rather than trying to almost separate the two and make them two different things. Uh, and I think if it's just a transformation program, um, ultimately, I think you're going to get far greater kind of pull, you know, people wanting to be part of it, and ultimately greater delivery and benefits as a result of that program as well. Mm-hmm. So and that, I guess that ties into what we were talking about earlier about communication, making sure that people are aware and bought in of what's going on. Is it, do you have any other advice or tips for, you know, you've, got a, you, you've delivered a great discovery programme, you think you've identified the benefits, it's a combination of CT and CX. <coughs> what else do you need to do to really make sure that that gets delivered? Yeah, so there's a couple of things I'd say um, that worked really well for me over the years. What... Uh, maybe um, I might go with uh, two or three things here, but I think ultimately a lot of these uh, the programs span a number of years, um, and they were complex programs. So again, what I found uh, with with some of these large scale programs and the reasons that some of them floundered was because almost the price was too far away. Mm-hmm. And the problem is with business; business moves so quickly. Um, that something's that that's got a two, three, two and a half, three year kind of delivery. People, you know, there's a, there'll be a change in MD, there'll be a change in CFO, there'll be a change on the board. 
you know, it, it, it could kind of fall away. So I think ultimately what you have to do is you have to keep, yes, iron that bigger prize at the very end, uh, because some of the, the programs are they're, they're physically, because there's systems, deliveries, you know, the culture changes, they are going to take longer. But you also need to make sure that all along the, the kind of that three-year journey, uh, you're making sure that there's enough quick wins. Mm-hmm. You, you need to keep people motivated. You need to keep people, uh, you know, feeling like they're delivering something all the way along. The other thing I'd say is with those, it's great doing all the discovery work and coming up with the recommendations um, but it doesn't mean anything unless you physically go out and then implement it and deliver it. Um, and I think I think the sooner you can embed the delivery team, the implementation team within the project or program, the more chance you're going to have of making sure that that program or project gets delivered. Um, and then I think the other thing fi- finally is just on the financial side or the benefit side is making sure that those benefits get delivered. Um, and that they and they're baked in. So, from a financial perspective, for instance, that those financials, um, those cost savings, are actually baked into the budgets. Then they're baked into the next forecast, and then they're baked into the next forecast. So you don't lose sight of that, and you measure against that. Uh, and then ultimately, on the same sort of track, um, if there is a drop off in those benefits, then you you don't just say, oh, there's a drop off in the benefits. We're going to be, you know. 30% sure because of this and this and they're, they're legitimate well actually then let's find another 30% mm-hmm. and I think what I always try to get the team to do is stick as close as they could, could to their original benefits uh, and then and then if they needed to go back in uh, and, and do some work inside of that you know um, project then they needed to do that because I, then I think ultimately uh, the business knows that those benefits are going to get delivered, you know, one way or the other, still sustainably, but you're not, there's, because it, it's far too easy on a program to say yes at the beginning, yes, we will deliver this, but then to walk away from the benefits. And I think that's why we were so successful and why we were able to take six billion of costs out of the organization, because we pretty much, you know, followed those financial benefits all the way through till their realization. And I remember the, um, uh, I remember the push to find the quick win benefits as well, and it didn't necessarily have to be, you know, it wouldn't necessarily have to be multi-million pounds, but just something to demonstrate yeah. that you're that, that that something's real, and it and it gets buy-in and it maintains that buy-in, right? Yeah, and also, I mean, you can almost do it on an iterative basis. So, one of the teams that took over revenue assurance, for instance, um, one of the one of the uh, kind of the, the the lines that we the the, the directions that we took was effectively. Um, it was quite easy to go into a product, uh, you know, trying to show that product um, and actually then get very little return at the end of it because you've gone it all the way through. But actually, why not try, do a little bit, get a sample in there, work on that sample and do that on a number of different product lines. And then the ones that are giving you the best return on that sample, and they're going to give you enough of a, of a, they have to be representative of if you, if you did it on a much larger scale, but generally if you were able to do that, then you could go and focus your energies on the right product lines and prioritize where you needed to put your resources. Uh, and just by doing that, we, we were able to deliver significantly more benefits for the organization. So I think you can do it even on a much more real-time basis as well as on those longer-term programs. And, and you know, one, it helps you prioritize, but also it gives people, yes, proof that you're doing the right thing. And with your new role, so with your new consultancy, um, 
how much of the learning or what, what, what are the main learnings that you've taken from your time at BT in terms of managing CT, CX that, that, you're, gonna, that you're now working with your new clients? Yeah, I think it's, it's, broad, it's much more similar than I thought it would be. Okay. So the tools and techniques are broadly the same tools and techniques that you're going to use almost regardless of the industry, which is quite, you know, it's quite interesting. So I worked, uh, for instance, in the property sector and almost the tools, so the, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, the activity value analysis tool, for instance, mm-hmm. it was just as applicable there as it was, you know, in, in, the, in a large corporate. Uh, and that was a much smaller organization. So a lot of the tools and techniques, and to be honest, all the tools and techniques, the consultancies used, the in-house consultancy, they're all the same tools and techniques. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as you've got the right buy-in with the organization and you've got, you, you're doing the right analytics to support it, I think that's the key, making sure that you do push back on CFOs. Um, and CFOs will hate me for this, but you do push back on CFOs and say, look, it needs to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. You can't just take out, you know, willy-nilly, you know, 10% here or 20% there just because you think it's an easy fix and you need to hit this year's numbers because it's not just a one-year business. It's, you know, multiple years business, you know. So you need to be able to deliver benefits that are going to be sustainable and recurring, mm-hmm. not just one-off benefits. Um, so I think that's the same challenge that you have, whether it's a big organization or a small is making sure that it's not just a short-termism view, and that's you know, but that's no different from any you know any business, regardless of the size or industry. So I think it's that's been it's remarkably similar in terms of you know whether it's the industries or the or you know or the size of the industries is what I, is what I found. Yeah, that's what you were saying earlier, right? It's more around the the, the attitude is often driven by the point of the company in its life cycle yeah, necessarily. That's what I that's what I, I tend to find. Yeah. The other big thing that's going on at the moment. Um, is obviously is around uh, you know auto, uh, robotics and uh, and AI, uh, and what I found increasingly in organisations there's a big run towards towards you know getting some robotics in, um, getting some robots in, uh, and what I found is that they they're often just doing that on top of broken processes. Mm-hmm. So just because everyone else is doing it and they're spending millions and the organizations that they're going in with aren't really advising them properly because they just want the money, you know. So they're then ending up with robots that they don't necessarily need yet um, that they've then got to maintain, you know, on top of the processes that are already broken. So that's something I'm finding. There's a big rush towards that because they feel like they're missing out. Um, so, you know, one of the things I've been, you know, doing with organizations is saying, look, before you even go there, fix your business first. So, you know, look for operational excellence, do the process for your engineering, um, put robots in, in the right places where it's, you know, high volume, high transactional type businesses where you have got the processes mapped out. Uh, and then that's when you start to engage and go down that path. Uh, and and that's and far too many organisations could have got the benefits that they're getting just from better macros, you know, screen scrapes, all those sorts of things before going down the road that they've gone down. Um, so that's something that I'm seeing much more, you know, increasingly as well. Well, encouraging people to get their house in order first yeah. before putting. That's in what you need to do. I mean, yeah. I mean, I sat robotics at BT and. That was a big push right from the beginning. We're only going to do it in those places where we feel the business is ready enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Because even there, there was a big cry. Oh, everyone's doing, you know, mm-hmm. everyone in our industry, everyone in shared services is doing it. But that's fine. Let's do it. But let's do it in the right way, in the right places. Uh, and again, let's prioritize it. Let's prove it. Get those, you know, they, once you've got a proof of concept and you've got a number of those, then it's much easier. And you know what works and what doesn't work. 
uh, before you kind of go big bang within the within the business. I think you might have already answered it then in terms of getting getting the, the basics right, getting 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 your your core processes and systems in order. But are, are there any um, or, or what's your view rather on on, on innovation, be it in CT or CX? We've spoken about robotics. Are there any other be it approaches or technologies that you think could be a game changer in this space? Yeah, I, I mean there are, but I think ultimately it, it's about getting you, you, you know, getting yourself in the best shape possible to to get to 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 start taking on some of these new tools, um, some of the new systems. And I think once you've done that, th then you can start to innovate and you can start to you know bring in AI and everything else, depending on whether that's right for your organisation. Um, but I think the, the absolutely the first thing to do is to kind of get your house in order, really, and then you can start to you know have a bit of fun, really. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, um, I guess, the, the consistency in the need for approach across CT and CX across different different industries. Is there anything that's felt completely different that that felt perhaps was a, a peculiarity of of Telco and BT and has required a, a pivot or change in approach? Uh, I'd love to say something. Like <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really seen masses of different. Maybe it's the organisations I've worked with so far, sure. um, you know, uh, and, and the industries I've been in. But s thus far, I haven't seen you know uh, a, a huge difference really. It's that, it's that it's that mantra of get the basics right and and try not to put an artificial separation between CT and CX. Yeah, and do it and make sure it's all evidence based. Yeah, you know, you can measure it. Um, one, you can measure the you know the the, the recommendations of factual, mm -hmm. uh, rather than emotional, rather than based on some hypothesis that you can't prove, uh, and then that you've got a range of measures that you can then follow mm -hmm. to see that you know that you're actually getting real delivery. And the people that you're talking to, that's resonating with them, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's not always uh, you know sometimes you have to start at a different place. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is going back to I'll have to prove it to you on what we're doing on cross transformation, and they get familiar with the fact that with they, they like the tools, the techniques, they can see the delivery. Then they get the confidence to then all right, we'll take more of a leap into an area where we haven't traditionally touched as much. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's useful. Shaz, thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. thank you for joining us for another episode of Never Mind the Pain Points. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or site. We would love your feedback, so please leave a review or drop us an email at podcast at And for more information about us, visit our website, claricis.com.